Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name's Joshua. And I'm Grayson. The date is October 3rd, 2017. And this is episode 11, our back-to-school special, The Complexities of Campus Emergency Management. In this back-to-school episode, we'll discuss the unique role that institutes of higher education play in community emergency management, as well as some of the challenges faced by campus emergency managers. To this end, we have the pleasure of speaking with Bob Maber, who is the Director of Emergency Management at the University of Calgary. We'll also be discussing several articles about the emergent topic of active shooters in schools and have a few tools of the trade to put in your toolbox. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian. So Josh, do you remember your school's emergency procedures? I remember some of them. I actually uh, went to elementary school in North Carolina, so I, I remember the uh, monthly tornado drills we used to do, hiding under our desks. <laughs> I don't think I ever had tornado <laughs> drills, but I do distinctly remember a schoolyard bell. It was a handheld bell that called us all outside in case of a, a fire drill. Uh, I think, though, that the University of Calgary has slightly more comprehensive emergency management plans. So let's take a look at what we found out from Bob Maber during my interview with him. Sounds great. Hello, my name is Bob Maber. I'm the Director of Emergency Management at the University of Calgary. And prior to that, my background uh, was with the Industrial Fire and Rescue. Uh, and so some oil field work and a lot of training on more um, technical rescue. Uh, a little bit about emergency management at the University of Calgary. We uh, sit with un, under the risk portfolio, so along with uh, campus security, enterprise risk management, environment, health and safety, risk management, insurance, and staff wellness. That's uh, reasonably new for the university, being under one portfolio as a risk department. So with the emergency management department, it is also fairly new because we started up officially as a department in April of 2014. What was the impetus for the creation of this department? Well, one of the things was the 2013 floods. It was, that was a big driver or a big reinforcement for the need for an emergency management department at the university. That's great that the UFC could really build on that window of opportunity. Tell me more about the floods. How did it impact the UFC? So with the floods, it was a bit of a different emergency crisis. The university wasn't directly impacted by flooding, but our population was impacted. It's largely a, a commuter campus. That, so um, you know, people are being, as a state of emergency, people are being asked to stay off the roads. You know, obviously, the university is not going to say, well, we're okay. <laughs> Come on in to work in class. But how do you close the university? It had been closed for one day once in 1997, and it's not a simple thing to do. We still have infrastructure that has to be supported there. We still have uh, other activities and research activities that are maybe quite critical that need to be supported. We had a large conference that it was in the middle of. And there, what did we do with that? These are people that are staying here on campus. But in the meantime, buses started showing up to our residents and there with evacuees. Nobody knew who was going to go where. And they just advertised they got reception centers open and, and people just started coming. So we had our emergency operations group running for 13 days at that time. Uh, myself, I was 41 days straight. Oh, wow. There, well, we had uh, people here on campus. And we learned a lot from that. Then a few years later, Fort McMurray fire. Fort McMurray's a long way away from Calgary. Um, there's a lot of places in between. But in the end, we ended up 
by taking in evacuees and being the largest ongoing reception center in the province. So not just housing evacuees, but offering and uh, being the hub for other services as well. During the flood, we had 386 uh, evacuees at a time. We had, I think, 1,400 over the, over the course. In Fort McMurray, we had 1,452 in-residents at one time. There we went from being told, expecting 200 on Friday to having almost 1,500 on Sunday. And it's hugely successful. We were doing 1,600 meals three times a day. Ramadan occurred during that period. So when we're doing food, to accommodate that is uh, logistically much more challenging, which we were able to do. Our conference and events and our, uh, and our food vendor Airmark were fantastic. So it was, uh, it was successful. It was another long one. So there was a large impact during the flood. Um, there was really minor impact during Fort McMurray. Their regular university operations continued. Um, during that time, we also had another small complicator as we had a bit of an IT incident and ransomware during the Fort McMurray fire. Wow, that sounds like a lot to deal with. And on top of all this response and recovery activity, I understand that you're also heavily engaged in preparation. Uh, most recently, you had a active shooter scenario, did you not? We had. We uh, Calgary Police Service uh, runs one large-scale uh, active assailant exercise uh, a year for the last, I'm not sure, six, seven years. Um, and we uh, talking with Calgary Police Service about um, what that would mean at a post-secondary institution which is a, a little bit different than some other places. So uh, we decided to run a, an exercise here at the university. But in advance of that, we, of the live exercise, we did a tabletop exercise. So with all the agencies, which would include, aside from the university, is uh, led by Calgary Police Service, who's the Calgary Fire Department, Calgary Emergency Management Agency, Alberta Health Services, EMS, and the RCMP K-INSET uh, was involved as well. And we ended up with 78 participants for that tabletop. Wow. It was, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. We came up with uh, a lot of questions, some answers. But now we had, did that in advance so that we could try and answer some of those questions before we did the, um, the live exercise. So the tabletop was in November. We did the live full-scale exercise in June. And that involved about 150 responders, over 150 volunteers. And, uh, and used up our uh, Kinesiology B and the Olympic Oval for, uh, for that exercise, which was, uh, was pretty intense, but uh, valuable for all the agencies involved. We are still working on some of the things that we learned through both of those exercises. Um, one of the big ones, a couple of big ones for us, again, were communications. Communications internally, communicating with the external agencies. So that was one for all the agencies. And communication just keeps on coming up again and again. On a campus such as this, with such a huge population, such a diverse group, how do you reach your students? What sort of tools do you use to communicate risk and uh, to respond to events like this? Uh, a lot of it has been over the last couple of years with uh, emergency notification systems. As one of the main things and the most important things that uh, we try to do or any organization can do is to get the word out and notify your population of what is happening during an emergency there and give them the information to keep themselves safe. So we've got different channels uh, through that and we've been adding communication channels. No one channel reaches everybody but one of the main ones that we've uh, developed and utilized is an emergency mobile application there which gives us the ability to reach uh, anybody who's 
download the, the application. We keep it uh, restricted to our campus community because it's we don't need to notify somebody in Hong Kong that something's happening on the campus right now. We need to get the information to the people that are on campus so that they can take action for themselves. But uh, with the mobile application versus other methods, it's instant. We've, uh, within 10 seconds of initiating that message, all the recipients have it. We can enable features like uh, location services to target messaging to different areas of campus, different campuses, as we have a number of campuses here within the city and even one overseas in Qatar, where we can just uh, target that messaging. In the event of uh, a hazardous gas release or um, take an active shooter event, we can target messaging to different people based on where they are using some of that technology as well. We can also use it to um, communicate and activate things like our, with our first responders, but also our emergency operations group. So anything that is a larger scale event, we activate emergency operations group, which helps us support the incident command post down on the ground, but also if there's multiple emergencies and evaluate the impact to the university as a whole and try and help to minimize that impact. So some, some really cutting edge use of technology and emergency notification. What sort of other departments or organizations or groups within campus do you lean on for emergency management? Uh, a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones for, obviously, communications. So we have university relations. Um, they, they are the communications arm for the, the university, both internally and externally. So obviously, we work very uh, heavily with them. They are also part of our emergency operations group, which we follow an instant command system. And obviously, information officer is one of the communications folks. Um, we work with campus security, um, you know, hand in hand constantly, but we're working right through, uh, faculties and individual departments. Um, we get a lot of it comes down from our executive leadership who are, uh, big supporters that, and then help to drive that message out as well. But we run other things, uh, for like faculty and staff, personal safety awareness training sessions, where we'll talk about, um, what to do in the event of an active shooter, uh, talk about what resources available at the university, like the Safe Walk program, how to find your emergency instructions and things about your building, where you are. So, and that's been very successful as well. Excellent. There. Obviously, after any event, we've had a few others um, that have affected the campus, like the um, with the Brentwood murders that were that uh, hugely affected the campus, although it didn't happen on campus as well. So the other aspect on the flip side that we've been trying to work through that and prepare for is um, after incidents, not just recovering operations, but for the uh, the care of the population. So that's the uh, emotional support and well-being, which is uh, a large and ongoing factor. Wow. I, I had no idea that campus emergency management was so in-depth, so robust, and so interconnected, both within your own departments and then within the external community as well, and that UC really is leading the way. What sort of tips and tricks would you have for other universities or emergency managers to, to build a successful program? Uh, tips and tricks. I don't know. One of the big things, uh, I'd say for it to be a successful emergency management program, that really starts with uh, executive support. Where I can't understate that enough, how uh, fortunate we were and the big driver for us to be successful to do this from 
We want to have an actual emergency management department and get in the resources that we needed to be able to, uh, to do these activities and helping to drive uh, some of the engagement and profile amongst the community. Um, as I mentioned before, really as, a, as an institution, one of the main things we can educate people, help to plan and repair, but during the response phase is really about information. Get in reliable channels to get information out. Um, and I talked a lot about the emergency app, but we also have, we've launched a new desktop uh, alert system. So for university managed computers, we can send out a message directly to that desktop and lots of institutions use that. Good thing um, we're looking now for this year is, you know, more external notification systems, speakers or what have you. And then video bulletin boards, we use uh, social media, Twitter, that, all the avenues to try and get the information out and spread that as much as you can to reach everybody. No one channel, again, reaches everybody, but you need to reach a critical mass. So presumably if we reach one person in a room, we're going to get that word out, unless they really don't like who they're in the room <laughs> with, I guess. Bob Maber, thank you so much for joining us for this epic interview. We really appreciate it, and I hope to connect with you again soon. Great. Thank you. Wow. Well, sounds like a great conversation, Grayson. Campus emergency management has always been an interesting topic for me because they're a little like EM labs or pressure cookers in the sense that they exemplify so many of the core challenges emergency managers have to face. Absolutely. They are really just a very small, concentrated city of sorts. And speaking with Bob, it was clear he had a really big, comprehensive program to manage. It, it really struck me how much more there is to campus emergency management than just dealing with the human safety element. Yeah, and there's a few useful uh, reports and guidelines out there. One's by the National Center for Campus Public Safety, a U.S. publication, but it lists some of the unique aspects uh, to that campus environment. As it came up in the interview, campuses are generally geographically large and spread out, and they have very cyclical, ever-changing populations. So those things can make problems with mass alerting and, and logistical issues. There's often blurred lines of governance. You've got very complicated university hierarchies, and they sit within uh, within municipalities, and there's often some misaligned accountabilities with different uh, regulations. Uh, they're also generally open access facilities, so they're hard to secure. It's not like you can close uh, a campus easily to the public. There's near round-the-clock activity. Uh, I know uh, on campuses I've been on, you can go there any time of the day or night and there's people working and studying. And there's also lots of integrated facilities. So things like hospitals, sports stadiums, performing arts centers, which are on the campus and may have their own hierarchies and uh, own organizational uh, emergency planning needs. So it can be difficult to integrate all of those internal and external stakeholders. Yeah, and I think these complexities are really only growing as Bob mentioned, uh, there's often not just off-campus facilities, there's out-of-country facilities or satellite campuses that have to be dealt with, and there's a whole myriad of problems that arises from that. And also, and I will learn my lesson around this eventually, not to turn off the microphone <laughs> before we're done talking, but Bob was mentioning after the interview that he's actually involved in a larger position within the municipal EOC. So when Calgary activates their EOC, he enters the ICS structure under the liaison officer as the agency rep for all of, uh, of, of Calgary's Institutes of Higher Learnings, with SATE and MRU being secondaries. Oh, interesting. So he's, he's embedded right in, in the city's EOC as well, so even for, for incidents that might not directly affect the U of C. Yeah, and 
there's also a unique need to protect things like research and sometimes decades worth of samples or specimens that can be irreplaceable. Right. And you mentioned internationally there's a UFC campus in Qatar? That's right. In fact, I, I heard that they're going to be doing a, uh, a mock evacuation of their faculty and staff from that in the not-too-distant future. Interesting. Well, I mean, when you look at the hazards skate for campuses, certainly they're vulnerable to all the traditional hazards that any community would be, you know, the natural and man-made type of things. But there are some, uh, you know, unique vulnerabilities you have to think about. Uh, one of the classic examples is biologic hazards. Uh, often uh, dormitories are fairly tight, close living spaces. Uh, you've got people coming from around the world, often with uh, various levels of uh, uh, immunization status. So you seeing things like outbreaks and even just a noro outbreak can be quite devastating for a campus and can spread quickly. Uh, also, you see lots of mass gathering events uh, on campus. I know you've been involved with some mass gathering events here in the city. For a second there, I thought you were just talking about campus hygiene as the biological hazard. <laughs> yeah, there is something to be said about the college lifestyle in general, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the you know the resources of universities to respond are also vast. So many higher education institutes also have their own police forces, campus EMS agencies, and even fire departments, as well as their offices of emergency management. So it's interesting to flip the paradigm. Often universities can be a major response um, asset to a community, and certainly for smaller towns, they might even have more uh, resources than the municipality itself. Yeah, and that was demonstrated quite well in the Calgary floods and the Alberta wildfires where the UFC became this reception center. And it sort of goes to reflect this idea that no one really has expertise in emergency management until they do. And in this case, Bob uh, went from having sort of a, a ragtag reception center during the floods to being the expert and the uh, university to send people to a few short years later. <laughs> yeah, it only takes one and then you're, then you're the expert. Yeah. <laughs> You guys also spoke uh, a bit about active assailants on campus. Yeah, that's right. And I think that threat deserves a special mention as it's some of the more high profile events for schools in terms of training. Um, there's been a lot of work done on changing the response to active shooters in the wake of so many events in, in recent years and even um, very recently in current events. Uh, the key yeah. thing every emergency manager should know is this concept of a rescue task force or a quick reaction force or a RIT team. They all go by different um, the different names, but it's a group of campus or community police officers, often including paramedics and firefighters who rapidly seek to end the threat and provide quick life-saving interventions. And this is something that is emerging within Calgary even, um, and who takes that role and what that looks like is, is certainly still something that's on, on the cutting edge. Yeah, one of the documents we wanted to review in this episode, which I think is core knowledge for every emergency manager, is the Hartford Consensus. If you haven't had a look, you need to do that. Uh, it's now in its third iteration, uh, first uh, published in, in 2013. It's a guide for the key steps needed in any active shooter event, and it should really be used to inform uh, both emergency management planning and exercises. Uh, there was a large... Um, uh, expert consensus group from the College of uh, uh, Surgeons in the U.S., pre-hospital trauma life support groups, the FBI, fire chiefs, police chiefs, um, and, and many other groups that all came together after uh, 
some of the the terrible mass shooting events in the states and figured out what can we do better and uh, it's an evolving organic document it's been also adopted by many Canadian groups and endorsed by several Canadian groups uh, that helped uh, with the authorship so it ties in well to our journal club this month because we wanted to review an article, uh, a landmark article really for emergency management, which reviewed the Hartford Consensus and something called the threat mnemonic. Um, this article is from the Journal of the American College of Surgeons, 2013, uh, written by Lenworth and colleagues. And basically it reviews the key aspects of the Hartford Consensus in term, from a planning perspective and, and uh, some of the responses that should be... Uh, um, uh, trained uh, for. Without getting too too uh, uh, tactical in, in some of the uh, concepts, uh, a key component you should know about is something called the threat mnemonic. So it's T-H-R-E-A-T. The T stands for threat suppression. So that has to be the first priority. Whatever your emergency plan is, it has to be to end the threat and, and, and allow as many resources and response agencies to work together to end the threat as quickly as possible. That includes public education. Uh, and then this, the H is for hemorrhage control. So this is a lot of preventable deaths uh, for people that uh, are bleeding. And there's been a lot of research showing that bystanders and, and victims of mass casualty shooting events, even those who are uninjured, don't know basic uh, first aid principles in terms of how to control hemorrhage. Uh, the R stands for rapid extrication to safety. The A stands for assessment by trained medical providers, and T is transport to definitive care. Now, these things may seem intuitive, but the old model uh, for responding to these incidents really was, was quite different. It wasn't an active, quick reaction kind of concept. It was uh, arriving to the facility or the school where the shooting's taking place, having a, a meeting, waiting for backup, waiting for uh, tactical reinforcements, and uh, all the while the, the active killing and shooting is going on. So we've uh, unfortunately, this has been a hard-won lesson. And, and as you mentioned, the recent tragic events in Las Vegas are an example that we'll, we'll, we'll uh, con continue to see these active shooter events. Yeah, and I think this definitely will require its own podcast. And there are lots of different schools of thought out there. There's the ALICE acronym as well, which is sort of gaining popularity, the Alert, Lockdown, Inform, Counter, and Evacuate uh, acronym. But all, it all still boils down to the same three basic uh, actions, which is the run or hide or fight. Uh, no particular order, it's just what you have to do in the moment. Um, and that's the messaging that seems to be getting out the most, is that run, hide, fight terminology. Yeah, the paper went on to talk about some uh, planning pitfalls, uh, things, uh, you know, lack of coordinated response and uh, coordinated planning efforts between different agencies. And it was particularly for campus agencies, um, you know, where they've got their own police departments or their own security departments, it's just really important that emergency managers are able to bring all those agencies together. So certainly more to follow on active shooters. On to the tool of the trade segment, we were asked to plug Rally Engine again, and you might think we're sponsored by them by this time. We've mentioned them before in previous podcasts. Uh, Rally <laughs> Engine was was used uh, at the UFC to uh, sort of augment their public learning program. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're listening, Rally Engine, kick a little something, something our way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so more uh, tools of the trade. Uh, the BC Ministry of Education has a fantastic emergency management guide for schools. It's available on their website. This document includes all sorts of templates, plans, checklists, and a variety of uh, planning guidelines. It's a good resource if you're a community emergency manager trying to engage your local school officials and principals and how they can 
uh, increase the readiness of their uh, facilities and schools. Um, or if you're working on a campus, it also is quite pertinent. So we thought it'd be a, a useful tool of the trade for this episode. Another tool for your tutorial belt, and this is more of a U.S. Uh, tool, but the IAM Universities and Colleges Caucus uh, has a listserv or a chat room, uh, as well as a repository of plans using a Basecamp site. So you'll need to email them for a password, um, and it's a university-specific group, but it might be handy. Yeah, and the IAM uh, University and College Caucus website also has a bunch of resources available on their website, uh, including resources from uh, FEMA and other groups. So a good website to check out. And lastly, if you're looking for an educational tool uh, surrounding active shooter response on campus, there's been an excellent collaboration between a bunch of post-secondary uh, institutions in Alberta, um, both in Edmonton and Calgary, to make a uh, training video that's uh, a PSA which talks about this run hide fight mnemonic and uh, very good production value I'd, I'd recommend it it's available on youtube and uh, we'll also post a link on our twitter feed and that's all for this episode of epic podcast huge thanks to bob maber for donating his time for this interview and a big thanks to the university of calgary as well who supported this interview that's right and stay tuned to our twitter feed for some big announcements see you next time You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of IAEM Canada, the International Association of Emergency Managers. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not in any way represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter by searching Epic Podcast. And finally, a big thank you to all of our contributors and to you, our listeners. Please stay tuned for the next episode of Epic Podcast. Current. Relevant. Canadian.